Welcome back to the 1090 Podcast. Today we have Christy North with us. And Christy actually has her own podcast called Pieces of a Woman. And I've actually listened to it, even though I'm not a, a woman, I've listened to it. And there's it's good stuff, so check it out. You can find that on wherever you listen to your podcasts. They're on all the major ones. And she also started the Taylor Hagen Memorial Foundation after her son Taylor tragically took his own life on January 6, 2017. And just a disclaimer for you guys, if you've gone through something similar, loved one taking their own life, this might be a tough episode for you. So just wanted to, to let you guys know. But Christy's a, a great example of taking something really terrible and trying to make something great out of it. So we're excited to talk to her today. And we have, we have a sponsor. It's a little bit different, so I'm just going to read this for you guys. It says... All are invited to join us December 6th at 7 p.m. at the Salt Lake City Cemetery. We will honor and lovingly remember children that have passed all too soon. The vigil will take place at the Christmas Box Angel Statue. Candles and flowers will be provided. Richard Paul Evans will speak along with myself, Mason Sawyer, and another speaker that has not been named yet. We welcome all, whatever stage of grief you may be in, come and mourn with those that mourn and find comfort and hope in the inspiring messages that will be shared. If you have questions, contact Lisa Johnson. Her email is lisa at richardpaulevans.com. That's lisa at richardpaulevans.com. And I'm excited to to be a part of that. It's tough. There's not a whole lot to say to people who've lost a, a child. It's, it's one of the worst things. Um, but I'm excited to be a part of it, and it should be good. Thanks to our sponsors. All right, welcome back to the 1090 Podcast, where life is 10% what happens to you and 90% what you're going to do about it. Uh, I'm Mason Sawyer with Sam Josie, and today we have a special guest, Christy North, who uh, unfortunately lost her son, Taylor, and uh, Christy, jump in if I'm wrong here, but was it 2017? Correct. January 6th, I think? Yes. And again, we've talked about suicide before. It's a... Obviously, it's a terrible thing, and it's something that we want to shed more light on. Um, and so, Christy, before uh, we dive in here, I want to. Do you have like a cool story about your son Taylor? I don't, to help us get to know him a little bit better. Sure, I have so many stories. So Taylor um, was twenty three when I lost him, and I know this sounds kind of cliche, but when I describe him, he was kind of your all American guy. Um, he played hockey across the country. He played hockey in other countries. Very talented athlete. And he was probably, um, let me take that back. He had more girlfriends than I could count. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Did he have all his teeth? He had all of his hockey? teeth. Okay. Yeah. That was a lie, probably. Yeah. So, you know, after he passed, it was interesting because I would get letters from people that said, if it wasn't for your son, I wouldn't be here today. And so to have that information, to know the kind of person that he was to everyone, it was helpful for me, but it was also s- super difficult because then the question was, well, then why wasn't he okay? So 
Um, one of my favorite stories about Taylor, though, is super humble kid. I could not, even though he could have, he would not allow me to buy him anything with a brand name on it. He would not wear brand name clothes to school, but he had to have that stuff on the weekends. He wore his brand, oh, <laughs> LRG, wow. all the stuff on the weekends. And I could not drive him. If I drove him to school, I had to park a block away and he would walk the rest. Oh, no. He did not want to stand out. Wow. And... Um, so there was a point in our life when he was playing hockey in Canada and kind of embarrassed to say, but we did have a plane and I would fly him there on the plane and I would visit him that way. I didn't fly commercial at the time. And the humble person that he is, I showed up to visit him and somebody got rumors, rumors went around that Taylor had a plane. And so he told the whole team that that guy was lying through his teeth <laughs> and would not let anyone believe that we had one. But then when he called to come home, uh, mom, do I have to fly commercial? Can you please send the jet? <laughs> so he was just so humble considering. And I just love that about him. Yeah. Awesome. I think hockey is one of the, you gotta be tough to play I hockey. Can't. Have you ever tried <laughs> ice skating? Just not even hockey, just skating. I, it is, <laughs> Yeah, hockey is tough. That might be the hardest sport to play, I think. It was so fun to watch him. He just yeah. was super talented. That's Yeah, if you have a private jet, then you should be zipping around. Watch. That's so cool. <laughs> That's not yeah. a thing anymore. So we'll get that on the table. I don't think uh, I would ever do that again. <laughs> so, I mean, I haven't experienced any, what you've experienced, having a son so close to me with suicide involved. And we were talking uh, before we started recording about how you brought it up, but I think it's a good point, Christy, that losing a child is just, it's just difficult no matter how it happens. And there's so much more in common than, than differences, but like walk us through, can you talk about the day of it happened? Um, how you found out and just tell us about it maybe. Yeah. So um, Taylor is one of six kids. So we have a pretty large family, and he's right in the middle. Um, the, the day of, well, I have to kind of back up a little bit. Prior to January 6th, we had taken a trip as some of the kids in the family had come with us um, for New Year's, and mm -hmm. we he did not come because he had a job, and so he couldn't make it. And I remember thinking on that trip that, I would never do that again. I'm never doing a trip without all of my kids together. It was super important to me. And we had, it was the first time we had traveled without some of the kids and emotionally, just as a mother, I would rather have them all with me. Mm -hmm. uh, he was pretty frustrated about that trip and um, that he couldn't make it, but we got home and I hadn't seen him yet. Uh, we got home around the, I want to say the third or the fourth and Taylor lived with us and he was typical age where he was doing his own thing. He didn't check in and tell me where he was or sure. where he was going because he was 23. Mm -hmm. He was an adult. Uh, so it, I didn't really think anything of it. But the day, Friday, it was a Friday, and I hadn't, we hadn't talked. I had sent text messages to him, and he hadn't responded. And I just kind of took that as he was busy with his friends and he would get to me when when he had a minute and the morning of 
actually the night before I had sent a message to him around um, the afternoon and had not heard from him and got home that evening after around probably six o'clock and I walked through the house. My youngest daughter at the time was 15 and she was in her room doing homework. And I said, have you seen your brother? And she's like, no, I haven't seen him. And so I kind of walked through the house, searched everywhere, no Taylor. And so kind of just went on with the evening, just assumed that he was out with friends and again, he'd get back with me. The next morning I got up and went to the gym, came back and my husband and I were kind of talking and uh, talking about how we hadn't talked to him. And so he went to work and I got ready and I walked out of the house, walked into the garage and I came back in the house and I stood in the entry of my kitchen and I kind of said to myself, why do I feel like you're hiding from me? Like he was avoiding having a conversation or something. And I walked out of the house and drove to work. Two hours later, I got a phone call and screaming on the other end. And I knew she didn't even have to say, I just felt it and drove home. And he was in the one room I didn't look. And so I've lived with that. Um, Sometimes I think it was kind of a, it was a blessing. He didn't want me to look there, but I looked in every single room in that house and that one I missed. So that day changed our life forever. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, if I look back, I think I, I walked in the door and I collapsed and I was on all fours for probably the next two weeks. I couldn't even pick myself up off the floor. I couldn't breathe mm-hmm. unless I was touching the floor. And I knew at the time, um, it was probably days later, weeks later, I had to figure out how we were going to do this as a family and how my kids were going to get the mother that Taylor had. And so I spent the next six years to date figuring that shit out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I honestly, and you know, I don't know you that well, Christy, but I think it's going to be a battle the rest of your life. Probably. Don't you think? Like, I don't think you're ever really going to get over this thing, but it's about how well you could move forward with it. And, and and I want to talk about, the 90 part, like what you've done with it. Cause you've done so many great things. You started your own podcast. You started the Taylor Hagen Memorial. You've done so many good things, but, and we, we talked to, we had a guy on before you last week, Mitch, who lost his sister to suicide. And what, you know, there's just a lot of ignorance for me learning this stuff as we bring people on our podcast. I just don't know a whole lot about, you know, suicide and how I just, I've never been that close to it. Like you have. Well, one thing I'm learning is it's, it's a complete shock. Is that how it was for you guys? Like you, like what? Like you did not see it coming. So it's Taylor. you know they kind of say it's like this complicated grief, but I would say in your case, I mean you have complicated grief because you're grieving so many. Right. And you know, and mine, I look at it as it's complicated because we didn't know, and not that you knew but we didn't know what was going on that caused this. And then for someone to take their life, it 
leaves so much emotion around it, the guilt. What could I have done? What could I have said? confusion too, right? Like, so much confusion. Did he leave a no or a... No, no, no. And it's all the questions that will never be answered. And, and, and even if they were, would they be enough? Yeah, I was going to ask you, is there a part of you maybe like, are you kind of glad maybe there isn't a note? Like maybe it would be hard. I don't know. I don't know. But maybe if he did leave a note, it'd be worse in some ways. I don't, I'm not I've sure heard though. both. Yeah. And I, I thought, you know, for the first couple of years that a note would have been so helpful for me to just reconcile something. Right. And I felt, I was so angry. Um, I felt anger for probably the first two years. About no note? About, I was mad at him. Yeah. I was so mad. And I found that I was probably one of the only mothers in my circle that I was learning, that I was starting to get to know that were sharing their stories. One of the, that had lost to suicide, that was still angry. And it took a lot of processing and understanding suicide um, and getting through that fog and all of the emotions to get past where I was no longer angry. Um, but it was, it was a long time. Yeah. Was, was there, uh, was there any like significant turning point for you? I mean, obviously it's something you deal with each day still, Yeah. Um, but was there something like a conversation you had or something you heard at this group that was a turning point for you to drop that anger and realize something like your views changed or, or was it over time? It was a combination. So definitely the time, I, you know, they say that we don't get over it. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't move on or we don't, we don't move on. We move forward. Right. Um, there was a friend of mine that at the time had not been very close with me, but he and I had coffee and he shared his story about how much he battled um, depression and suicide. And he gave me a whole other insight to it that I had no idea. So kind of like what you mentioned, suicide was not ever even in my w- radar. It yeah. wasn't even something we just that we talked about. I had no idea. And now I feel like it's so it's around me so much. But he was able to walk me through when they get to that place and the tunnel vision that happens. And although you know you have this amazing family and and you have all the things that it, it's pretty much, it's like gone. It goes and they just, it kind of just like comes in. Mm-hmm. And that was helpful for me um, to not make it about me because I was making the whole thing about me. How could you do this to me? How could you do this to your sisters and your brother and all the things? And it, it, it took a lot of work for me to have a better understanding. You'd mentioned earlier that, you know, how am I going to be the mom that Taylor had for the rest of my kids? How... You said for that two years, you were really, really mad. How did you put those pieces together to keep moving forward, to keep being the mom to your other kids? And I mean, uh, yet battling that thought and those questions every single day. It's a good question because some days I I was better at it than others. I think that um, the foundation and infinite vision clothing um, gave my kids and myself a purpose and a way to kind of focus on how we help. I th- I've, I've found that if we're serving, it takes everything off from ourselves and if we can put it into someone else. And I think it saved our family. So the foundation and creating that and building what it is today, 
along with Infinite Vision, which was Taylor's dream to own, the t- to own a clothing company. Uh, we found it on his bucket list, and it was, and he had the name Infinite Vision. So we started that company. Oh, wow. That's awesome. so cool. In his memory, yes. I mean, it's such a strange concept for, for me to pro- who has not experienced the type of either of your losses, but for you to be a mom, a wife, to kids, to have lost a son and to still have to, like you're mourning, but you have kids to raise and you have a husband and you have a job. You can't just go down in the basement for three years and shut everything off as much as you want to or as, as much as that sounds great. And so just the idea that you're able to, even against all odds, the the frustration and anger that you had at times, like you still had no choice but to move forward. Kind of like what you always say, like when people, if someone were to tell you years ago, this was going to be what you're doing now, Mason, that you would say, there's no way I can't do that. But oh, yeah. yet, I mean, we're gonna, here you yeah. are. I think that's the same thing with Christy. Like that just sounds unimaginable. And then it happens to you. And I, people are more resilient than they think. You somehow find a way to keep going through it. But like, Christy, I, I struggle with that because the dad I was or the person I was before the accident was just the confident, happy family man. Like I'd come home from work and Riggins would run up and like, let's play fight. And he'd get his Halloween costumes out and, you know, him and Blue and Frankie, I'd throw him on the couch. And it was just, and now I, I'm battling depression and, and other things. And I just like, I don't have the same desire to play and be as active i'm just like sad a lot and just want to sit down and not do anything and then i get this guilt of not being who i used to be and it makes me feel really really bad and before the accident i could leave my kids with courtney my wife and go hang out with my buddies for a night and just totally feel not bad about it because they're with their mom and now they don't have a blue doesn't have a mom, so now I have like this weird dad guilt. Like I'm not a good like am I a good enough dad? Is this what I should be be doing? I'm always second guessing myself because in a way, like and I don't know if this is true for you, Chrissy, but like the day of the accident, my family, like I kind of died a little bit too that oh, yeah. day. And I'm sure that this you're not really ever the same for better or for worse. Well, and my daughter describes it as, um, Mom, we were clueless. We were in this la-la land pre-Taylor dying. None of us, I mean, we, we were just living our life, yeah. doing all the things with delusional in our mind. Because we look at today and, you know, you, you talk about where you're at, Mason. And in my mind, my opinion, you're still very early Oh yeah, I'm like what a year, you're, yeah, fifteen months you're, in. You're, yeah, yeah, you're still so early, and I remember that first year and a half. And I think I came home every day from work and locked my door and sat in my room for a mm. period of time and stared at the wall. Um, <clears throat> and I remember my daughter pointing out, as you mentioned about the anger, she pointed it out to me. I didn't realize I was demonstrating that kind of irritability consistently. And so I was grateful that she did point it out so I could kind of check myself. And it took time and it took me working at it. And I would say what really saved me um, are the women that I were able to connect with that when I was having those days or those moments that I could reach out to and I could say all the things without the judgment. 
And that was like yeah. saving grace for me. Yeah, I have that too. Like, And you said it earlier, helping people really helped you. There's just something about it. It's just one of the law of the universes, I think. If you put someone else ahead of you, it's just life is better, man. If you just think about you all the time, I think those are miserable people. Well, and I don't know if you feel this way or not, because I don't know you either, but I thought I was a pretty compassionate person. And I yeah. thought, you know, <laughs> I thought I was pretty good. For sure. Like, <laughs> And today, yeah. you know, it's one of the things I say about Taylor, and I told him this um, when he was here, you taught me more than I could ever imagine on how to be a parent because of all the things that he challenged me with as a teenager, everything that we had gone through, through his teenage years and even his young adult life. And today he is still teaching me because as heartbroken as I am, I can't imagine not being here. I don't know how I wasn't the person I am today. And so I feel like Taylor really helped bring me to that level. And I didn't want to lose him to do it. I really didn't. But if I'm going to honor him, I'm grateful for the lesson that he's taught me through that. Yeah, I think by doing that, you kind of keep him alive in a way, like by helping other people with the foundation. And and so it's such a scary thing, the suicide thing, because it just comes out. You don't know it's coming. So how? Like, what are you telling people? Like, you have the foundation. You have the Taylor Hagen Memorial Foundation. You help bring awareness to suicide prevention. Talk like what are you guys talking about discussing? How do we help prevent this? Because it's just scary. Like it could happen. Like you had no clue. We talked to Mitch before. He had like it's just mm-hmm. it's not what I thought. I thought it'd be like, yeah, you're struggling with depression. This doesn't look good. And then they go down the path. But what I'm learning is these not are the happy people. All, they have good home, like great family. Right. It's so scary. So what what is like what advice tips can you give us? So I'm gonna give you a couple answers. One um, that kind of speaks to where you don't think, you know, like you don't, you're, you're not sure what it is. And that would really be being observant, you know, watching the behaviors. Like I said, with Taylor, when he did start drinking, I kind of equated that to being part of the age that he was in. And, but then realizing that later reflecting on it, he was self-medicating. Um, he struggled sleeping. And he did kind of share when he wasn't feeling great, but I didn't put it together that that was depression. And so having the conversations um, and being real and inviting them to be real, but then also being able to hold a safe space for them when they are real. And I think about, you know, the parenting style I had when he was younger and I would react at the things that today I would say don't mean shit. And um, if if my kid needs to be able to come to me, you know, with the challenges that they're having, and I'm, if I think about a first responder, so I was given this example. If you're driving your car and you get in a car accident and the police come, when they come to your door, what's the first thing they say to you? Are you okay? They don't say, oh my God, I can't believe you just hit that car. Were you not looking where you were going? You didn't put on your brakes soon enough. I mean, they're not coming at you, right? And so I was that mom. 
Mm. I was reacting to all the things that I thought were going to define who my kids were going to be if they weren't careful. And so our kids need to feel like they're in a safe space with us. And so if we want them to come to us with the really tough stuff, then we got to be really good at handling the other stuff. And they will they will come to us based on how we react to it. And so that's number one. Um, number two, if you know that someone is struggling, I think what we're missing is also being real with them. So if I had an opportunity with Taylor to know that he was struggling with depression and that he had had thoughts of suicide, what I know now is I would tell him what this looks like. I would point blank say, you will change the trajectory of my life and your sibling's life forever. We will forever live in the question of what could we have done differently and that will never leave us and we will battle depression through that for the rest of our lives. We want you here. We need you here. And your friends will struggle with addiction, alcoholism, questioning if they're what they could have done. And they'll spend the rest of their lives doing the same thing. And so if I had the opportunity to spell that out, because as I mentioned earlier, they go into this tunnel vision, they can't see and all they're thinking is everyone would be better off without me. And we need to bring that back in and tell them what this really looks like. And, and I find, I mean, both those answers are so significant and profound, especially, I mean, I, when you start saying that first answer, you know, you want to live your life and be able to react in a way that your kids can come and talk to you and be open with you and be truthful with you. And so while you were talking, thoughts started coming to my mind, like, how do I react to my, I got four-year-old twins that drive me crazy sometimes that are like the littlest things, not a big deal at all. And so then I just, you know, I start to ponder like when they're older and they're in high school and things like that. And, you know, how, how, are, how, I guess I'll just phrase it as a question to you. How have you changed to where you're now, you are living in a way to where your kids know they can come and talk to you? Oh my gosh, I love this so much. I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. So um, I won't say names, but my youngest daughter came to me. This was after her brother had passed. And um, she was 16 and I was in bed. And so, you know, usually that's the, the best time where my girls would come up and kind of share with me all the things. Well, she came in and she was brave enough to tell me that one of her friends was having sex mm -hmm. at 16. Mm -hmm. So three years prior to this, my mind would have went, oh, my God. Are you having sex? Are you having sex? Who are you having sex with? Does this mean you're having sex? Like, it's the end of the sure. world. And I would have just drilled in on her, mm -hmm. which would have then had her mm. pull back. And then she's not going to talk to you anymore. And then right? not share with me. And so I took a deep breath and I said, how are you, how are you feeling about that? How does, and I, her friend, I said, how is your friend doing? Mm -hmm. Have you asked her how she's doing? And I talked her through. And then towards the end, I said, the time's going to come where this might be something you're considering. And I just want you to know that I'm here and mm -hmm. we can navigate that together. And then she walked out of my room and I called my husband and said, I'm a badass. <laughs> <laughs> you are. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm trying to think like if I was, if when I was a teenager in my young twenties, if I had depression, I wouldn't tell, I wouldn't have told anyone. I don't think I would have told anyone. 
Because you just, you're not, like, as a guy, you just bury that. That's mm-hmm. a thing. That's You just, you don't go there. Our men are not talking. Our young men are yeah, not talking. Yeah, we got to change it. And it's weird. It, and it's so weird, Christy, because part of the 1090 message is don't be a victim. Don't whine, complain. Focus on what you can do and keep moving forward, which is good. But you have to balance that out with you do need to find healthy avenues and moments to express your emotions in a healthy way. And if you're struggling that bad with depression or if you're having suicidal thoughts, we have to create an environment where they're comfortable talking to their parents or someone. But it's just so taboo for them. I think that's one of the biggest problems, right? These people dealing with it, they don't tell anyone. They're afraid of being judged. Yeah, the stigma of depression is so dumb. It's just so stupid. Well, and if we can share our stories, all the stories, and we're being real, then that may open up the conversation for them to go, okay, I can relate to that, and I'm willing to share my story. So if we say that we're struggling through something, that gives kind of like the permission for them to say, this is a safe space for me to be able to do the same. Right. My therapist, he told me, because I tried never to cry in front of Blue. I just, I, I didn't want him to see, because whenever Blue sees me, even today, I get in these moments where I'll kind of zone out and I'll just be sad. And then I'll, he'll see me and then he'll shut down. And then I'm like, okay, I got to like perk up right here for Blue. And so I would try to never cry in front of him. And then my therapist is like, you actually need to cry in front of, in front of him sometimes. Like you yes. need to pick some moments. He needs to see you cry. Therefore, Blue knows it's okay for him to open up and cry and talk about it because he misses him too. So that really helped me. So I went from just, I would literally like, I could tell I needed to cry and I'd text someone like, hey, can you guys come get Blue? I just need an hour here to cry. <laughs> and so it's just, it's, yeah, it's just a hard. Well, part of that parenting thing. piece that we were talking about is they do need to see us have those emotions, but then they need to see us transform out of those emotions. Yeah, it's like go to work. Yeah. Like, okay. We can do it. This sucks. I'm mad about it, but life goes on. Like we got to keep going for them and for other people type of thing um let's talk about uh i listened to some of your episodes of your podcast it's cool <laughs> so i'm not a woman i'm a guy but it's uh pieces of woman yes pieces of a woman yes. right yes and it's about empowering women settle a, a debate for me and sam here because we're guys and we don't know anything oh, about no. women we just don't know okay i'm gonna try let me ask you this so if a woman comes home from long day at work or whatever, and she's, compl- you know, she's just complaining, she's not really looking for a solution to her problem. She just wants to vent, right? I, I think she just wants to vent. Dave, Sam over here thinks like they want a solution to the problem. Well, help us out here. What do you think? Because <laughs> we we're terrible. We don't know what we're doing. So this is the, I mean, question of the year, I want to say, but it's really like figuring out all women. And I'm going to agree with you. I told you. We want to vent. <laughs> and if you're coming up with, with solutions, you're just going to piss us off even yeah. more. <laughs> See, in my head, it's like, look. Just listen. Look, this is so fixable. <laughs> ABC, get on with your night. Let's go. Okay, how about this? If I'm watching a game and wife comes in and starts talking, is that my fault? Like, I'm locked into a game. I'm a big sports guy. Okay. So, like, if she comes in and starts talking, and I'm not listening very well, 
isn't that half the blame on her a little bit? <laughs> like I'm it's you know what I mean? Like yes. <laughs> she didn't tell me to pause it. It's just like she starts talking and then it's like help me out with that one. What do I do? Do I what, help me out? <laughs> I don't have the perfect answer for that one. I'm, <laughs> I'm laughing because we expect you to just know that we're talking. Which is And we fair. want your whole world to just go on pause because we are so important. But when it's fourth quarter and you got a hundred bucks on the game and, you know, you know, it's just time and a place, I think. Right. But that was like the biggest fight. We're never going to get good at that. Yeah. That was my, hey, like, I know I need to listen better, but give me a break here. But no, I love your podcast. Um, tell us a little bit more about your 90% and then we like to end every episode with your top three favorite movies. Okay. And if you're up for it, maybe throw out some of Taylor's top three favorite movies too. That's a lot of movies. I don't know if we yeah, do we're going to try. But, um, tell us a little bit more about your podcast, the 90%, because what we believe at 1090, because we all have stuff, whether it's divorce, lose your child, stub your toe. I don't know. All Whatever the things. it is. All the things. I mean, there's constant challenges, work, mm-hmm. everything. We got to find a way to keep going. And so you have the foundation, you have the podcast. What are some things you teach, other things you believe in that have really helped you overcome this tragedy and find positivity and found a way to help other people? Give us a couple more things and then we'll move on to the movies. So I think, you know, just it's human nature for us to try to distract. And mm-hmm. so I think we just automatically can go to this place of what can I do to distract so that we can kind of separate ourselves from the depression and the grief and all the things. Um, so the foundation for me initially became kind of like that distraction and it allowed me to kind of remove myself from the deep, dark depression um, and the grief and and just throw myself into serving. And it, it's been helpful and it's been beneficial, but the balance of really making sure that I'm like you mentioned, the healthy expressions and honoring my grief. And so when I do fall into those down days and moments, going there and being there and allowing it. And so I make sure that I make the time to go dark. Yeah, that is I, so well said. I do that. I'm getting good at that. Like, okay, so that's this when, is a bad moment. It's going to be a bad moment. Yeah. Take advantage of it. For and, sure. you know, the podcast was created out of a space of um, – Really, for me, since losing Taylor, I was in my late 40s. I'm now in my early 50s, and I have changed so much, and I've learned so much as a woman. And I think um, the podcast represents us really honoring and embracing all the pieces that make us who we are. And that's the good, the bad, the ugly, the emotions, all the things. And so we really tried to bring that out in the podcast and so Pieces of a Woman just became another place for me to kind of therapeutically speaking, yeah, just really kind of sure. talk all things. Mm-hmm. One thing I love that, I mean, you've talked about it a lot and then you brought it up today and I see a pattern with some of our guests that come on and with you about the service aspect. I love because when you're, you think of like a bad day or you think of something unfortunate, the last thing you want to do is get off the couch and go and give service to someone. And then in my head, every time I give service, it seems like the very next day something else comes up. It's like, look, the more I give, the more they take. I, I, did, my, I, I did my service yesterday. I'm good for a month. Oh, um, but it, it's so true, though, is, I mean, you're a lot of the stuff that you do, your 90% is geared towards service of helping others and help and helping others see 
the brighter side of things and and different opportunities. And I love that because I don't think you'll rarely is someone going to regret giving service to someone. Um, and I think like I, I know it's helped Mason. Obviously, it's helped you. And I think that's the the part I love the most about it is that you are able to actually go through what you've gone through and still have that motivation and drive to give service to others. Because we talked about stubbed toe earlier. I'll stub my toe. I'm not leaving the house for three days. I'm not serving anyone. Nobody's so, being served today. Right, yeah. right. And so I think that's so awesome that that's the, the obviously it didn't happen overnight, but here you are and this is your the platform you've created. And I think it's awesome. And Thank I think you. It's, it's amazing that you're able to do that. Thank you. And, and I couldn't have done it without my family's support and my friends and everybody who's kind of been behind me through the mission. And um, selfishly speaking, if I, you know, if I'm giving, I'm taking, a, I'm kind of removing myself from everything that's going on in her the inner turmoil so yeah. it, selfishly it helps me too but you're right it, it's it's so fulfilling when you see someone like in my case where I do the retreats a mother that is able to walk away and say I feel like I can go forward now what do you guys what do you talk about on those retreats like you guys do like exercises like what are those so Explain the, those. the retreats are a, a weekend retreat and we bring in on average six to eight mothers from all over the country they fly in for the retreat and all losses, not just suicide. And it's a combination of self-care and sharing their stories because sharing your story so, is so yeah. important and you need to share it as many times as you can because you'll watch over the years how much it will evolve and how much it will shift and change. And that's part of our growth. And so that happens throughout the weekend alongside the self-care piece. And just the connection, honestly, yeah, the connection. Yeah, that would be the best part, I think, is yeah. just, wow, like, I'm not alone. Because that's one of the worst feelings is just this feeling of complete loneliness and just feeling of powerless. Like, So I think that connection would be, I, it sounds like, it, I, I've never done group theory, okay. therapy. I've done a lot of one-on-one -on -one therapy, but that's something that I think would really help me is, because what I do on the podcast is we just talk to people, that, mm -hmm. and it's it's really helpful. So I think group therapy would be awesome. Um. One of my, I'm just curious, cause like, like we talked about earlier, I'm still in the middle of this thing. I'm, I'm like 15, 16 months removed. You're five years removed. I'll be six in January. So like explain the pain and, cause I'm just curious. I don't know where this is gonna go. Like I'm still going, but like what's it? I'm just curious. And I know it's different for everyone and we all have different avenues of how we navigate through it. But it's just one of the things that is always on my mind. Like, how long am I going to feel like this? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel type of thing? So give me some hope here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to preface with um, my dear friend said to me, because I asked her for a roadmap. I'm a checklist person. Checklist mm -hmm. person. Tell me what I need to do because I can check it all off mm -hmm. and I'll be done and this is what and I'm going to be done. And she looked at me and said, yeah, it doesn't work like that. And so grief is different for all of us, as you mentioned. Um and I don't want to discourage you in any way, but the consensus with the, the amount of people that I've talked to over the years and me looking at where I am today, I would never have imagined that I would be where I am today. And a year and a half in, I didn't, I couldn't see the light. I, I didn't want to hear it gets better. And I, cause that was like, there was no way possible that was, that it was going to be that. And then, it's not that it gets better. It's that we learn to take it with us in a yeah. different way. And in my mind, 
my grief is my connection with Taylor. So I don't want my grief to go away. I want to continue to have it because it's my connection to him. I know. I try explaining that to people like, because um, someone sent me a quote that said, pain is inevitable, being miserable is a choice. I'm like, that's, that's kind of true. But what you don't understand is we kind of want that misery in a way because that's our connection to him. And so it's really impossible to fully get rid of it because the pain comes from the love and you're never going to stop loving them. So you're never going to stop hurting. Well, and is this coming from someone that has had a loss like yours? Yeah. Have they? Oh, well, no. Okay. But so unless you, (laughs) unless you know the loss, you know, I don't know. a But that's funny because people tell me like, I don't know what it'd be like to walk in your shoes. And then they're like, but this is how you should be living. I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) Yes. You can't say that. And then and I pray, and <laughs> I pray you never it? know. And so I'm going to forgive you and give grace because you yeah. don't know. But, you know, you, I don't know what it is to lose a spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what it is to lose a child. And it is the worst thing you could ever go through. And for someone to think that it's a choice is yeah. ignorance on their part because you are going to have days of being miserable. Yeah, and that's why like I love Metallica so much. Like their music, like sad but true. Like all those songs are like embrace the pain, man. This is why you loved them. And it's weird because if I could go over and do it again, I would do it. Like God or life or whoever, if he's like, Hey, you can marry Courtney and have three kids again, but they're gonna die. You wanna do it again? I'd be like, Yeah, sign me up. All day long. Because those people are my people. Yeah. So it's a weird thing. So I'm, I'm always mad and frustrated about it. But at the same time, I would love them so much, I'd do it again. I would, so. I would say, and um, some of the moms that come to the retreat, I've had mothers that are 20 years. That doesn't make yeah. you feel hopeful. But they're 20 years, and it doesn't go away. And I have mothers that are a year, and the beautiful part of them coming together is the mother that's at a year gets to see what it looks like that she can get to this place Mm -hmm. and she's going to be okay. And the mother at 20 years is able to look back and go, Oh my God, look how far I've been, how far I came. And so you're, you know, you're a year and a half in, there is a light if you do the work. I mean, I see it some days, but the other days it's like, what are we doing here? What is going on? And it's just, some days are really hard, but if you have a bad day, you try not to have two bad days in a row. It's kind of the mentality I've had, at least. You keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I like how you said, you know, if you have a bad day, have a bad day. Like, use it. Like, And I've, that's something I'm getting good at. It's like, okay, I'm just going to cry and just feel it and have a bad moment here. And I think it helps. Do you have a minute, time for me to give you a, a um, crazy story? Yeah, of course. So I every Monday... At the time, the job I had before, I had a Monday executive meeting, and I dreaded those meetings. But I was on my way to work and got in my car as if I was going to the office, and I live right off the freeway. And I got on the freeway, and I drove for three hours and pulled over, got a Kleenex box, some Twizzlers, and some gummy bears, and cried for three hours on the road. I ran away. And I showed up at Bryce Canyon <laughs> and I called my husband and he's like, how was your meeting? <laughs> Cause and I said, well about that. And I said, don't tell. 
you know, don't tell our daughter. I don't want her to think I'm crazy. Well, he uh-huh. shared with my husband was so great. He said, tell me where you're at. I'll get you a room. Stay the night. And my daughter thought that it was the coolest thing ever. Mom took her break. She needed oh, to check yeah. out. And so I'm oh, giving man. permission to. Yeah. Check out. We're not crazy. <laughs> right. It's just a lot to endure. Um, I'm just laughing because I'm, I relate to that so well. It's just like, yeah, you just run away. Like, I need to be alone and just do my thing. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm so sorry for what you went through, Christy, but the way you've handled it is amazing. Um, okay. Movie time? Movie time. Let's Christy North, your top three favorite movies of all time and... If you want to throw out some of Taylor's favorite movies, we'd love to hear those as well. Okay. Number one, Grease. Grease Lightning. I like Grease. Anything with John Travolta, honestly. Okay. Um, And then the classic, Pretty Woman. Okay. I could watch that on, <laughs> on like, auto, auto wind. And The Notebook. Classic. I'm a big fan of The Notebook. Yes. <laughs> big Never fan. seen a... There's this meme, they clip that notebook scene where he's like, what do you want? And they play it like asking your wife where to go to dinner or something. You guys ever seen that one? Yeah. That's pretty funny. I think the notebook has the greatest line of a movie in history. Well, when when she, she's, or he's, Noah's getting mad at her and he's like, I wrote you every day for a year. It's not over. It wasn't over. It still isn't over. And then charges in for the kiss. Wins the girl back. I love it. I thought you were going to go with, I tell you when you're being a pain in the ass, and then I'm, or something like that. That was another. That's that's how it works. Yeah, there's some good. uh, I love it. Notebook's great. Yeah. So Taylor's top would be for sure The Grinch with Jim Carrey. Okay. He washed, it would be summer, and he would be putting that, and he could. Repeat what you just did, like totally do the character mm-hmm. and sound like him. That is awesome. Yeah. And yeah. then, um, what is that? Van, Van Hadland. I can't even think Van of Van Helsing? It. Yes. Oh, and yeah. That, the yeah. vampire one. Yeah. Yep. With the, the Wolverine the, guy? Is that yes. the exact one? Yeah. 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 And yeah. if not a movie, but he was addicted to, obsessed with Shark Week. Well, it's Shark Week. <laughs> I know sharks doesn't come on till four. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Thank you so much, Christy. Remember, if you guys are hurting or you need to talk to someone, please talk to someone. You're not alone. Um, help spread awareness where we can. Um, and we got to help change this thing or do what we can at least. Um, so, Christy, thank you so much. Make sure you check out Pieces of a Woman. And you're on all the main podcasts, right? Like right. Apple and Uh, So check it out. And then also the Taylor Hagen Memorial Foundation. So thank you very much. Remember, uh, 1090, life's 10% what happens to you and 90% what you're going to do about it.